Welcome to the Conversions Podcast, where we discuss conversion rate optimization and the latest tips, technologies, and actionable strategies that you can actually use to get more of your website's visitors to take action. And now, your host, Francis Teo. Welcome to the Conversions Podcast. Today, we have with us Justin Rondo. Justin is the Chief Evangelist at Rich Test One, the top weekly publication in conversion optimization. More than 75,000 marketers each month visit Rich Test One to research its extensive case study library featuring creative samples and results data for nearly 400 AB and multivariate tests. Welcome to the podcast, Justin. Thanks for having me, Francis. So can you tell us a bit more about how you got into the conversion optimization space? Uh, sure. Uh, I was actually um, was working for a small software company in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I was their director of marketing at the time. And I was really trying to come up with an initiative to increase sales uh, of, of the, it was a B2B piece of software. And so we, we had the traffic coming in. We didn't have to really worry about those tactics. And really what, what needed to be done was we needed to turn up the uh, the volume of sales and increase conversion rates. So I uh, I've, I really became fascinated with data-driven decisions and um, kind of looking through and finding all like the little holes where people are dropping off and where I was missing out on opportunity. And I just became fascinated with it. And um, also, I have a, a background in email marketing as well. And then email marketing and email marketers in general, I think, have a better grasp on the concept of testing because of kind of they have a finite list to work with and actually do poll better when, when we ask people if they are actually running tests on their campaigns. Email marketers generally have a higher percentage of people who are actually testing. So with my email marketing background, as well as um, the initiatives I put together for that software company, I um, just kind of became very, very well versed in testing and thought that that was one of the best ways to really move the needle for any company. Awesome. So currently you're working as uh, the chief evangelist at which test one. Exactly what do you do there? All right, yeah. So at Witch Test One, um, I'm the chief testing evangelist as well as uh, the chief editor. So I do I write all the content. So each week when we put a, a new test out there, I do the research on all of the tests that we publish, and I, uh, then I'll write one that gets published a week. I also create premium content for our paid members. We are, we are a subscription site where people get access to our, our tests, webinars, white papers, and other perks and that go along with being being a member there. So I come up with the content for that as well, and I'm also the uh, the content director for our. The show the witch test one the live event that takes place in austin texas in may and is also going to be taking place in london in may as well of two of 2014 wow so you wear like really many hats so this is totally not on the outline but how do you find time to do all of this a bit crazy it is it is a, it is a bit crazy i don't i don't really know I, for some for some reason uh maybe i just have more hours in my day than most people <laughs> i guess there there's a lot to get done where i mean we are an organization of about 10 of us right now and we're, we're actually going to be, be increasing in size this year which i'm really excited about we've been we've just been seeing some major growth as the optimization community has expanded so maybe i'll actually have some more free time eventually but um that's probably not going to be the case for quite some time what is your overall strategy when it comes to conversion optimization and testing for websites all right uh so when whenever i do any sort of trainings or any speeches that i give i think the first thing that it comes down to is really digging through your data i've always called like, even the which test one we focus on the the case study and the tests themselves that's always just kind of like that's the 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 fruit of all the labor that goes into um, the work behind the scenes, like, like doing the data diving and tracking like where people are jumping off on your site, identifying the most important pages that will help uh, uh, move the needle, whether they're their shopping cart pages or pages for um, where you're 
identifying your new leads, and then also juxtaposing that information, that that analytics information with qualitative data from user surveys or uh, different eye tracking studies and exit surveys and, and those and those things as well to create a really solid hypothesis. Because really what it comes down to, you don't want to be testing just for the sake of testing. That's just as dangerous as not testing at all, because you're going to get bad learnings and you're not going to be able to make strategic decisions based off of the outcome because it's not scalable anymore. So I really like to test uh, when you develop this really strong hypothesis. And then whether your test is a failure or not, and as, you, as you've seen from many experts out there, that you will fail. Some of your tests will fail. But despite the status of your hypothesis, you can still gather learnings from a, from a failing failing test and as well as you could from a, um, from a successful one. Could you tell me if you do any testing on the which test one side? Uh, yes. Uh, right now, we do mainly tests on our, um, on our lead generation campaigns, specifically on, um, on our overlays on the on the website as well as placement of things like our inline forms because of our the email service provider we use it makes it very easy to run those tests currently we also run tests on our email campaigns and um, specifically uh, a few of the tests we ran on our overlays were one i did a, a new redesign of it because i thought the the bland look of the one we had currently uh, just wasn't converting well but it, it turned out that even after you know making it a bit more flashy, it, it, the the more bland <laughs> overlay did perform far better. And then we also ran one on our overlay timer, where we had a, a 15, 45, and 30 second variation there. So uh, the 30 second was the actual control versus the 15, 45 second variant. And at the time of this test, we saw people were on the site for about two and a half minutes. I think it was like two minutes and 27 seconds. And we found after running this test, it was run for 21 days, that the 15 second variation increased conversions by, I believe in the low double digits, I want to say 11%, but this is on which test one, so you can look the case study up and uh, actually demolished the uh, 45 second variation where the 45 second variation saw a drop in leads of about 50 percent that's really interesting i've never i don't think i've seen that case study yet i've gone and check it out so as um which test one is basically a site that uh showcases a lot of a b tests i think you there are about 400 of them could you share with us on a more interesting surprising or unique tests you've come across yeah, I think one of one of the more interesting ones I saw lately was a test that was run on Unbounce.com. It was for one of their content pieces. Their um, it was a testing guide, and we've all heard the the cries of the the drop in relevance of email marketing, and that social media is you know going to reseat that throne. But what they did was they ran a test that was you could either input your email address to get this ebook, or I actually think it was a white paper. And then, or you could tweet out that you're going to get the, and it was called the noob guide to optimization, I believe, or the noob guide to testing. And um, you could tweet that out and then you would get the link. And I think a lot of people thought the using Twitter is far, it's far less committal versus giving away your email address. But um, the, using the email address actually won out by a significant amount. And then they also tried a third variation where they gave you the option between using email or or Twitter. And there was, I believe it was 80% of respondents on that page chose email over Twitter. And I think what it comes down to really, it's just a matter of, um, I think it comes down to the name of the content as well as just what people are comfortable with broadcasting because even though like the ha- like the half-life of a tweet on twitter is is very very small it's very very small but um it's still a bit of a commitment say for instance if i wanted to read this noob guide to testing i get i get paid to t- to train people in, in testing and talking about optimization and writing about it for a living if my followers saw that i was downloading some kind of noob guide to this i'd look 
completely silly. And it would undermine kind of my, the authority that I have in the space. So I think anybody that would be that would be in my situation would not have tweeted that out and they would have much preferred their actual email address being used. And in most cases, a lot of people have throwaways as well that I think they would have used for that. Okay, that's really interesting. I don't think I would have tweeted out anything as well. I would have rather give my email address. Yeah, it's uh it was it was it was a really cool test that they had done. And um Recently, too, we've seen. I think any any test that involves a uh, the use of an overlay, I find really interesting because as marketers, I see there's a lot of people that are completely against using. I mean, an overlay or people will just call a pop up or a light box, whatever vernacular you decide to use um, is fine. But I think a lot of us keep our marketing hat on. And like, we don't like that ourselves whenever we see it, but they do function and they actually do work. And I actually saw a really great comment on our most recent test that we published, which was for a real estate site. And they used a, a, a lower left-hand pop-up that would lead to the, the actual real estate form if you clicked it. And one person said that using an, a, a, the use of a good overlay is like a good waiter where they know when to show up and they know not to just hover and be intrusive. Though that it is in itself an intrusion, it's a welcomed one. Uh, so I thought that that was a, an interesting perspective for overlays. But what we've seen when people use those versus an inline form, there's around a 10x increase in conversion. So overlays do work. And if it's against your basic marketing ethics, um, I'm sorry to say that those you might need to be a bit more pragmatic in your ethic. Great. So uh, on version A, we, we have uh, a little pop over on the bottom left-hand corner, which the visitor has to click on to get a bigger inquiry form right in the middle. That's uh, basically a two-step thing. On version B, there's just nothing. And let's see, uh, the version A generated 19.5% more leads. So... Yeah, that's a pretty interesting test and it's a pretty interesting use of the overlay because it's not particularly intrusive. It goes with the, yeah. Yeah, they, that, that wasn't a particularly intrusive one. They did try a, a follow-up test where they had the uh, that box in the left-hand corner pop up immediately uh, rather than after a, a fixed period of time and that actually performed very poorly. Um, so that was perceived as an intrusion whereas the one that shows up after someone had spent some time on the page was not perceived as such. And I'm generally anti-popover because it it interrupts the, the thought process of the visitor. So, I mean, in, in this implementation, it really helps uh, and it's really useful for the visitor. So I think it really works. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it comes down to as well um, where people need to try, try to segment the experience out where if you can identify whether somebody's a new versus returning visitor, maybe you shouldn't be showing them those pop-ups again. Um, it's really a matter of making the content relevant. It goes back to that, uh, that metaphor of it being like a good waiter. Okay. It's really interesting. So if the, do you have any other more interesting case studies that you would like to share? Um, I think those two are, 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 are good enough. Um, really, it comes down to, and I, I think what I was trying to get across where the most, I think, progressive tests have been um, within either working on those, those types of overlays and kind of balancing out that, am I a pest or am I you know, giving you useful information? And I think also uh, the use of dynamic content, so uh, inserting dynamically based off of uh, different parameters has been um, a major change in how we provide content 
But that's actually more reserved for organizations that have a, a much um, higher traffic volume. So I think that as you'll, you'll, you, everybody's reading articles about big data and dynamic content and all these things, but those are generally reserved for people with high volume of traffic in order to make it actually worthwhile. Um, but uh, as, as, as organizations become, become larger and implement testing, that's something that everybody should be doing at that level. Um, and again, I think that I can't stress enough that they're, they're, when you're running, I guess that's kind of the flavor of the week right now in terms of optimization. Everybody's talking about it, but it's, it's only for a small subset. It's, it works well. It's useful. It's great for the user, but it's not possible in a lot of cases for marketers to do that, to do that well, or to be even able to test that. So basically you're talking about personalization technology, right? Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I was just having a conversation with this software developer and they are developing some sort of personalization technology. And we had this discussion that like, I told him that when we do optimization for clients, uh, we don't even consider that in the first round of tests because like the site is ugly, yes, usability problems. They have no idea what the value proposition is. This immense friction all over the place. And like personalization is not something I would even consider after... Until I fix all these problems, and um, how about you? How do you feel about this? Oh, I think that that's a a, a great method. <laughs> um, Personalizations. That's just that's like those are final tweaks. Um, when you have bigger fish to fry, such as you know the value proposition being completely lost or just a complete misstep with the uh, the user experience. So when you those are the, those are the big scale changes that need to be done and I think and that's why I'm also saying with personalization that's still left for the upper echelon of people who've been testing there that's a, a formal refined um, notion. It's like when where you look at Mozilla where their conversion rates are in the high 90% uh, for people who use their use their uh, download their browser and they're in the in the mode of tweaking for something that's going to get them like a 0.1% lift. Um, granted, for them, like something that that's that 0.1% is is huge when they have the exposure that they have. But they've they've done everything they can in terms of that optimization period. So those would be people that need to be you know doing the the different types of personalization. It's not left for you know maybe a small medium sized business who's getting into testing. Oh, uh, and I think that we see these articles all too often that talk about all these new methodologies such as personalization where it really is that's just the, the fine tuning it's like the, the customization of cars after you've it's, i guess like you, you could put it in a car metaphor where you, if you have this clunker you're not going to be putting a spoiler on it uh, if the engine's broken there's no point because um, it's not going to move so i think that that's um that your methodology when you work with clients that sounds spot on yeah, <laughs> well, going along with the car analogy, it it's like they tend to present it, you know, at the, the as a product developer or software developer, they tend to present it like some sort of nitro or turbocharger. You just install it, and then your your conversion rate will increase like fifty hundred percent. So that's how they sell it. So it's really tempting, but oh uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I don't really. Uh, to me, it's like you have to fix the foundation before like your car don't, doesn't have wheels, it, it can't move. So <laughs> there's no point putting nitro on it. So yeah, that, that's that's really interesting. Um, so let's move on. Um, well, when you see websites today, do you see any main conversion issues that, that are very common? With sites, I mean, there, we, we could, we could, 
pick a whole slew of sites and, and see the problems with them. But I think the problem isn't within the site design, so to say, but I think it goes deeper than that. I think it goes within our, as, as I guess, as in the industry, as we're expanding, um, back in like, like 08 and 09, when things were going like growing uh, significantly, like we are, people were just like testing has been around forever, but people were starting to really implement it a lot more. And it became, uh, it was getting towards kind of like the mainstream. Um, there were very, people were testing very well, like very responsibly. <laughs> and, um, and for instance, for all of our Witch Test One awards, we, we get, we've had the Witch Test One awards since we've started where we look at some of the best tests that people have, have done. And in the last year, we've seen a change where people who are very well versed in it were sending us these examples of really great tests that they had run. They had, you know, done all their due diligence and followed, you know, all the best practices in terms of like their methodology. But as the industry has expanded, we have a lot more novices that have joined the industry and they're making um, mistakes in terms of like how they, how they optimize based off of, you know, rather than actually running the test, doing the, the optimization piece of, you know, looking at competitors, implementing it because someone else did and kind of falling into that, um, that blind spot where they, they are just doing what people are doing rather than testing it. And, um, it's another, another focus I've seen is markers, the the metrics they've been focusing on. Uh, It's not, (laughs) they're looking at, you know, very shallow metrics, looking at clicks and are running tests where they're not able to look at which variation worked best. Um, so they're looking at like a a massive, not even a total radical redesign. They're, they're working within the same template, but they've shifted too many things, but then they're not doing a multivariate test. They're not looking at what, what elements are doing what they have to actually just infer and that inference can be can be wrong and in a lot of cases will be wrong. So I think it's um what's going on in the industry is as we've we're we're growing but we're we need to educate a bit better on how to do things right and understand, you know, um how to one develop these value propositions and then measure all the way through to make sure that we're not focusing on these like shallow metrics and finding out, and if you are focusing on those metrics, to have some way to monetize that so that you're, when you report to your CMO or to your client, if you're a consultant, that you can put it in terms that they, that they know in terms of dollars and cents. So I feel that um, a lot of the issues we see within optimization, isn't, it's, it's a symptom of kind of a, a less informed public, which is kind of our goal at which test one is just to inform people how to do this correct. Do you find that it's a losing battle sometimes? Because there's always this, this there, there, I mean, a lot, so much push button technology right now that like it makes it almost too easy to run a test. Um, I, I, it is a bit of a losing battle. We just, um, I don't know if you, if you saw this yet, we just released our state of online testing report. And one of the, uh, one of the questions we asked people is when do they call a test? Like when do they say that these are statistically significant results? And one of the options we gave them is as soon as their technology says so. And <laughs> that shocked us. We, we, we put that in there because we wanted to see how many people would actually check that. And they, they're not taking in things like timing as a factor or the, the, what, how, the, how the testing technology works. I mean, it's, it's, just bas- it's just basic statistics in there. And so it's not humanizing the numbers. It's numbers in a vacuum. And for instance, and as, as, as well you know, if safer uh, on one variation, it, like, because the raw numbers are, are small enough that you see uh, a, like 150% lift from variation A to variation B. And it's say, let's put 
within an hour. Based on what these people are saying, they said they'll call the test because it says it's statistically significant, but they're forgetting one very, very crucial point, and that time is itself a variable. <laughs> and they're, they're forgetting that they need to verify this and let normalization occur. And these are just very basic things that people are forgetting because of, I think, these turnkey solutions. Right. So yeah, it is a bit of a losing battle because every time I point this out, like people don't like me very much. Yeah, but I think yeah, it has to be emphasized and people need to be educated. That's why we're doing this show and hopefully people will listen to this and like, you know, let's find out a bit more about the statistics behind the test because for a standard A B test it's not complicated. When you do like a A B C or a multivariate, it gets really tricky. Uh but for a standard A B test I think it's pretty okay, pretty easy to learn how it actually works. So basically your main issue would be like people are testing but not really testing properly. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 testing and they can say they're technically testing, but um they're I don't think they're not optimizing, I think. Like they're 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 not focused on the 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 process. They're just kind of doing it like, "Oh, let's change this button because, you know, why not?" <laughs> and uh, it's yeah. There's there's a whole slew of issues that are occurring, but they're all things that can be fixed through education and proper education channels. Awesome. I have this saying when I run tests for clients, like relying on bad data is worse than having no data at all. It's dangerous because you start making assumptions and start and building off of those off of that data, and if it's leading in the wrong direction, it's uh, it's just it's just a bad road to go down. Where if you had no data, you won't wouldn't be going down really any road at all. You'd be stagnant. So I think, think stagnation is better at the, in that scenario. Stagnation is preferred over going down a a bad road that's going to to make you lose you know money, sales, leads, whatever. Okay, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And and I mean, I'm I'm of the view that A/B testing is actually imperfect because like you test on day one and test on day two, your sample your your basically. Sample is different. They're different people compared to if you do like a, a typical hypothesis testing, let's say on a drug trial or whatever. It's always the same population or the the, sam- the people you're sampling from are always the same. So it's always imperfect. So it's it's better to be more cautious to find out like, you know, what's happening here. So um, do you have anything else to add? Uh, no, I think uh, I think uh, that was my my main contention with uh, with what's going on in the testing world, I guess right now. Yeah, that's one of my main contentions as well. And yeah, it's just we have to continue to educate people. So if there's one top actionable tip for improving convergence on a website that you have for our listeners, what would that be? My biggest tip would be juxtapose your quantitative data, your analytics, with your qualitative to generate a hypothesis. Um, that would be like, you, you need to look at both pieces of information to begin to optimize and test well. If I had a, a secondary tip, it would be to make sure that your your testing tech goals fall in, like the, at least the goal pages that you set up are being reported well uh, correctly through your Google Analytics goals as well to make sure that you're, you're consistent throughout. So to get a, a clear analytics audit prior to you know setting up your different testing campaigns. Um, I think really what it comes down to is knowing your knowing that the, the data you're getting is is as clean as possible in order to start making better decisions and testing well would be my 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 biggest tip. So in summary, you want to have reliable data. Yeah, uh, well, that's a really really important tip. Uh, in practice, I found that it's quite hard to have hundred percent accurate data. There's always some some quirky thing that's happening somewhere. I mean. 
uh, not to get too technical, but most uh, tracking and uh, A-B testing technology today is like cookie driven and there's so many tracking issues with cookies, but we try our best. Yeah, and then, I mean, with tracking issues with cookies as well as, you know, what was it last year with um, the EU rules about having to notify that cookies are on your site, that that adds a level of difficulty as well. But I think, I mean, we all know in terms of the data we're gathering that there is some margin of error within like what can happen like, where you're, you may be double counting because someone clears their cookies or they're coming from a different IP address on a different device even. So there's those issues of double counting that can occur. And since that's already an, like a possible a room for possible error, get rid of anything that you can manage. <laughs> That's really where it is. So if you can, if, if you're set, if you set up a goal scenario where it's like triple counting, um, based off of like, uh, having different URLs for, for a different path. Like I, and I've, I saw this happen before where they, they were actually triple counting their conversions and thought that they were doing a lot better than they actually were. And this was something that the company, all they needed to do was go through their analytics and make sure everything was up to snuff, just do a complete audit before they ran the test. And they, they wouldn't have actually implemented the, uh, the, in their mind, winning variation because it would have lost out. So they were getting bad data because they didn't look at, you know, the stuff they could manage because there's always those external factors with the, in, in online marketing. And that that's, the, the nature of it and always will be. So focus on the areas that you can manage. I, I, don't use the excuse, well, there's all these exteriorities that exist, so screw it. <laughs> um, they need, like, if you can manage it, manage it to get the most reliable data pop. Awesome. I think that's an awesome tip. So where can people find out more about you or get in touch with you? Um, they can go to witchtest1.com. Uh, they could also, uh, anybody feel free to shoot me an email. It's Justin R, uh, J-U-S-T-I-N-R at witchtest1.com. I love uh, getting email from people if they have questions. Uh, witchtest1, we are an unbiased popu- uh, an unbiased publication for testing professionals. Uh, we are a group of industry analysts and, and testing professionals, but we don't do any sort of consulting. Uh, so we're really focused on the education of the industry rather than trying to sell people a service of any kind, um, which is, I think, puts us in a unique position to um, to really bring the community together. Awesome. I think everyone should visit the site and sign up as a premium member because I've gotten a lot of value out of it. And I think anyone listening to this podcast would have um, would get some value out of that as well. Yeah, total, totally agree. And we will be, we are, ex, we will be expanding again the site in uh, Q1 next year, where uh, we're, we are we're having a renewed focus on our premium members to make sure that we give them even more uh, than what we do already. So we're we're really excited about that. Awesome, looking forward to that. So thanks once again, Justin, for coming on the podcast. Again, thank you for having me, Francis. Uh, I I hope everybody uh, can you know go, after this podcast goes and takes a look at their analytics and make sure that they're getting the most reliable data they can to te- to test right. <laughs> awesome, totally agree. Then, okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Conversions Podcast. Please leave us a review and rating on iTunes if you enjoy our podcast. We love hearing from you. Connect with us at our website, conversionspodcast.com, and let us know what you think. 